0: listening to the rainmaking podcast hosted by high stakes headhunter, author and professional speaker Scott Love.
1: Hey, this is Scott Love and thanks for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. I hope that business is good for you. I hope that things are getting better compared to last year this time last year especially with the crisis changing. I also wonder what you think about the path to sales if that's changed in the post-pandemic world. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, if the path to sales growth has changed. My guest today is Ken Lundeen. He's a credentialed expert in the area of sales. He's got some great real world experience that he's going to talk about and some significant ideas. I know you're gonna get some great ideas from today's show, but he's the president and founder of Ken Lundeen and Associates. He's a creator of the Sales Alpha Roadmap. And his team helps B2B companies create predictable systematic sales growth, leading to higher profits, lower costs, and better customer relationships. Also, make sure you check out the show notes so you can connect with Ken directly. He's a very wise person with some great ideas and a lot of, a lot of great tactical action steps that I think are going to help you in today's show. So thanks for listening, and as always, if you have ideas for guests on the show, you can send me a note or just go ahead and send them to the show website. It's the RainmakingPodcast.com. And I've got a new link on there where people can put their information. So if you know any experts, authors, or speakers on business-to-business sales or client development, please refer them to the podcast. I'd love to talk to them about being a guest on the show. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on The Rainmaking Podcast. Our special guest today is Ken Lundeen, and today we're talking about, has the path to sales growth changed in the post-pandemic world? Ken, thanks for joining us on the show.
0: It's awesome to be here, Scott. This this sounds like a good one.
1: Yeah, thank you. I've worked really hard to kind of keep it relevant, keep it fresh and interesting, and bring smart people on the show to share ideas about business development. So kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, 30 seconds or less. Give us your story. What did you start out when you got into the professional world, and how did you get to what you're doing today?
0: Yeah, and I'll remember to refer you to some of those smart people that you talk about later <laughs> on too. So, hey, yeah, no, so it's, it's pretty simple. You know, I've got a love for entrepreneurship and business and it probably goes back to, the, you know, one of the most traumatic moments in my life, which was in you know, 2011, we kind of come through the Great Recession and I'd answered the door with my 12-year-old wrapped around my hip and somebody had bought my house in an auction and the bank hadn't told me. We were in the process. They had this cool thing where you could refinance, but you had to be 90 days late. Back in the Great Recession, before they would do this refinance thing, right? So you had two different arms poking in on that, and you know, ultimately that led to kind of my my bankruptcy, right? My the 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 downfall, and so as I thought through that, and you know, my history has been sales since since in college and out of college, and I've always been on that side of the world. You know, there is some truth to the idea that sales cures most problems. So really, with that knowledge of the things and and all the things that I've missed. We went through, rebuilt the professional career, did some really awesome things. Then we launched Ken Lundy Associates five years ago. To really, I mean, our path is this: I want to make sure that if you have, uh, if you have professional services or products, that if your business is going to fail, it's not because nobody knows about it. Right? You know, let's make sure that it's because your product stinks, <laughs> and not that you're good at getting word out. So, you know, our mission is to go out and help as many businesses as we can get heard about and convert sales and have happy customers.
1: Well, that's great. And I appreciate that background. And I think just you having done what you've done and what you've been through, I think it gives you a lot of grit. It gives you a lot of gravitas. You've been there, done that, you've survived, and you've been able to use that to push yourself or pull yourself forward. So let's kind of fast forward to the post-pandemic world. And I always say that you never know when the next natural or man-made disaster is going to change the world. We had the great recession that you talked about. We came out of the COVID crisis. They tried to put Joni Love's Chachi back on the air. I mean, you just don't know how bad it's going to get. But what are some of the big changes that you've seen since the crisis? People are coming out of that. What are some of the common themes that you've seen in business right now?
0: Well, I think that, and honestly, I think, Scott, the better question is, is have things changed Mm -hmm. or has the post-pandemic or the pandemic world actually accentuated what sales has always done poorly? (laughs) You know? Right. And so I think when you look at it, there are definitely some things, right? You've got industries that are flourishing. You've got industries that are, are still struggling. So the industries that are flourishing, as an example, if you have professional services, in many cases, there are industries that are asking for your services who never have in the past. Like if you're a mobile app development firm, right? Because right. Right. now trucking companies need mobile apps, right? So there's this whole other demand curve that's coming onto it. And then on the other hand, you've got some other industries not doing well, but I think When you look at the post-pandemic world, the number one thing that's changed is really the necessity to be able to develop value for people early on. And what I mean by that is we're often asked to come solve a specific problem. The specific problem that many, many founders and and companies want to know about is, hey, Ken, how do I create urgency? How do I get people, my salespeople to close people? Right. And I'm like, "Mm, you don't have a closing problem. You have a value development problem. Right. And so that happens very early on. So usually what happens in this is in this post-pandemic world, you know, we've really gotten to the point where many companies are trying to go so fast to get to ask for the order that they forget that the order comes faster and easier if the customer really can see the value that they're going to be getting. And so I think that's probably the number one problem that's happened in this kind of post-pandemic environment.
1: Right, right. So do you think the crisis itself has kind of magnified stress cracks?
0: In the sales processes of companies and how they do business? Absolutely. I don't think sales in the stats show it has historically been very good. Yeah. You know, you can go look at most of the sales statistics for if you've got salespeople or even let's say you're an attorney and you're out selling your own deals. You know, your most of those are referral-based. You may not see this as much as if you're somebody who's doing more product and services otherwise. But traditionally, less than 50% of salespeople meet their quota. Yeah. So, first of all, we have an industry that traditionally doesn't do what it's paid to do. Right. And then add that into kind of this post pandemic need where I can't go glad hand. And now the relationship builder, the the guy or gal that could go shake your hand and pat you on the back, they've been neutered. You know, they don't have the ability to do the things they used to that let them get by. So yeah, I think what it's absolutely done is it's taking those few holes that were in the dike and you used to be able to put a thumb in one and a finger in the other. Well, now there's 12 of them and you have to take your shoes off because there's too many particular holes in the process. Yeah. Wow. So let me kind of
1: go back to what you talked about teaching people how to develop value early on. What do you mean by that? And what do you mean by develop value? And what do you mean by early on?
0: Yeah. It's value in the eyes of the client and the eyes of the buyer. As an example, I saw a great example of this and I'm not sure Nick Cosen from SalesProcess.io put this out. And he said, look, let's assume that a man is on an Island and he's on Island one and Island one is just an Island, no improvements. Well, Island two has his family. It has the businesses. It has everything that he wants too often. What we do in that process of trying to sell the guy, he doesn't care that you have a boat that's made of the greatest carbon that has leather seats. Yeah. What he cares about is the transformation that you can give him going from island one, island two. He wants the process. He wants to know that he can get there, not necessarily the features and the functionality of the tool. And I think in value development, the biggest problem is too many people focus on the tool, Mm -hmm. right? I have the greatest features. I have the greatest software. I have the greatest thing.
1: Why do you think they do that?
0: Because it's easy. And, And you can be a little bit lazy about it because you can say... Well, there's two reasons. You can be it's easy and I can be lazy about it because I can say, hey, I'm an expert in the product. They just didn't want the product. Look, it absolves me, the salesperson, of any responsibility for the decision the buyer made. Right. So that's yeah. one. The second reason, if we talk about smaller companies, often smaller companies, particularly say venture capital backed, PE backed, are companies that have technical founders. And the technical founders like talking about technical stuff. Right. You know, and the that becomes the issue becomes. It drives margins down. It commoditizes you. It increases your customer acquisition costs. So at the end of the day, what we really mean is known versus latent pain. I don't care that they think they know what they need. You should be able to say what you're looking for, Mr. Mr. Customer, is a symptom. Let's go find the disease. Right. It starts in the very first meeting.
1: Right. Like I always say that if Thomas Edison surveyed his prospects and asked them what they wanted, most of them would have said, we want brighter candles. Yeah. You know, they just can't see it. And I also wonder do you think that our own self focus, maybe it's maybe it's hubris, maybe it's ego, maybe it's just because our focus is on ourselves a lot of times. Do you think that kind of keeps people from really understanding what their value is to their clients?
0: Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So I used to work with, I used to do use some content from a training company called Aslan here in Atlanta, and they have a concept called other centered. And one of the interesting concepts about other centered selling is that you have to be intentional about your desire to be other centered. Right. And so I would agree, you know, with people coming at us, hey, what's your quota? What's your billings? What's your manager? What's this? The intentionality is probably the hard part. And it gets harder the more successful you get because you start to believe your own PR.
1: Yeah, that's right. Read the press releases.
0: Yeah. I don't yeah, know how to crazy. say this,
1: but I'm a big deal, you know?
0: Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, or it's like, or it's like this, right? Hey, I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me? Right.
1: <laughs> okay. So, what you said, I think, is brilliant, Ken. When you said being intentional, we have to be intentional about our desire to be others centered. I think that's yeah. counterintuitive of our own human nature. And what's interesting, what I've seen with law firms, and I think with the legal, within the legal industry, You've got some brilliant people that have spent so much time becoming number one in the world in what they do, that they think all the things that they've done and who they are and where they went to law school are the reasons why somebody's going to choose them to solve their problem. But that might not be the reason to do so. So they think, well, this is what I've done. This is why I think it is important. I need to put that front and center. So what advice would you give to that professional that's really wanting to learn how to sell based on what you talked about? Where would they start? What's step one in helping them be intentional about their desire to be other-centered? How would you, what would be kind of the roadmap you would give them to go down the path that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, we use a, we use a process because we think most of success in sales and most things comes down to frameworks and processes. And so we have a process that we use inside of every sales meeting, it actually works for most forms of communication and structured meetings called the perfect meeting. The perfect meeting has six steps. I and mean, I won't go through them all right now, But one of them, you know, you go rapport, you do something we call a bookend, which is a return to value. Hey, why are we here today, right? And then you set an agenda. Well, in the discovery, let's say that you're a lawyer, you're an attorney, you know, that agenda isn't about what they want to talk about today, right? I'm sure they have a legal case. They have something. But let's say you're an attorney selling to businesses. Right. Because I think that's probably more appropriate because it's less, you know, kind of, it's personal injury or or whatever. And I'm not a law expert, so let's do this (laughs) up. So, but let's say you have a business that's interviewing you. What you really want to know is the bigger picture about the things that will make a engagement with them successful. So you may say, hey, I understand that so-and-so referred you and that you came because you wanted to discuss this particular idea. We're going to get to that, I promise you. We're awesome at that. And that's kind of table stakes. Right. But what I'd really love to know, talk to me about, let's say you make this decision. 12 to 18 months from now, how do you hope it's different than the current relationship you have? How? What do you hope it's done for your business? Because the primary thing there, if you want to say, how do I do that as a lawyer? How do I do something else? Is in that very first meeting, which we we'll call a discovery meeting in sales, we want to get them to look up off their desk from the existing problem and pile of papers right? and to look out over the horizon so that we can tie our services into that. That's how you'll win more deals because otherwise, even as a lawyer, you've just turned yourself into another column on a spreadsheet. Yeah, you're right. Feature, feature, feature. John's got this. Susie's got this. Oh, well, they've all got the same features. Who's the lowest price? Yeah. You don't want to do that. So that's the thing. The number one thing I'd say is get people to look up off their desk and look out over the horizon. And that starts because you can always go big picture to small. You can always go, where do you want to be long-term to where what's happening today? It's really hard, though, to get out of the weeds of today and move them back up into what matters a year from now. Right.
1: What do you think? keeps people from growing in this regard? What do you
0: think keeps them from becoming others focused from being intentional? What do you think it is? It's a great question. And I think I go back and forth on the answer. So if you next time y'all hear me, you might hear something else, (laughs) but the brutal honesty is this. I think at the end of the day, we're all self-interested first right? We want our thing. And very few people, the challenge is very few people get that serving others will get you everything you want. And that's a modification of you know an old Zig Ziglar quote. But literally the pathway to riches beyond belief is by the number of people you can serve. Now, there are many, many billionaires out there who could be complete jerks and not very nice people, right? right? But look at Jeff Bezos. Look at some of these people the way they amassed wealth was because they expanded the footprint of the number of people they could serve yeah and they did that in ways that were important jeff bezos took on the idea of amazon prime and delivery in 2 days would because that's what us the consumers wanted not because it was cost effective right right and so well although that may not be a perfect example i think of the when you really look beyond the india or the truth what's on our desk today the ability to center yourself on what's happening for your customers or your clients is the pathway to real money. Right. So
1: tell me this, when you say that the world of sales consulting is broken, what do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. It's this disjointed, goofy thing that you would never teach a company to sell the way we sell. Yeah. Right. It's you can buy consulting, but the consultants don't do anything like, Hey, here's your PowerPoint, go fix it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. You can buy training, but we know the Effingham forgetting curve says that after a training, people typically forget 77% of what was given to them in seven days. So just, you know, take 10,000 bucks and then just burn three quarters of it. I'm going to burn it and put it into a flame. And then we don't know how to sales coach. And so ultimately when we talk about it, is we essentially say this, if you want to improve the structure and the predictability and systematic growth of your company, that you have to understand that it's like a car with four flat tires. Mm -hmm. And you have to find a way to actually work on all four tires instead of just putting air in one. And the world of sales consulting today seems to be specializing in, I'll do the front right, I'll do the back left. right, And it's still a really bumpy ride for companies. So
1: let me kind of ask you this then, when you talked about being intentional about your desire to be other-centered, I would think that would be one flat tire. Somebody's image, not necessarily image, but their focus, the lens which they look, is it about serving their clients or making another sale? What do you think would be other flat tires that professionals have today
0: that might need to be looked at to improve? Second would be yes or no are both great answers right? Yes or no to your proposition. Yes or no to the, the right fit. Yes or no. Those are both great answers. And too often in sales, we think yes is the only answer we want. Right. So right. what do you mean? No, no is a good answer? No is a fantastic answer. last thing we want is maybe. Mm. And so I think the ability to seek clarity in a way that's other-centered, like, so here's a hack if anybody wants to use it. You know, hack's a goofy word, but... <laughs> You know, we teach our clients, use the phrase, so that in between your benefit statements, right? Let's do this, this, and this so that you receive X, Y, and Z. Right. Right. And you relate it back to whatever they said. And just by remembering that, so that you'll remember, don't just put statements out there and make your clients do mental gymnastics.
1: That's great. You got to connect the dots, don't you?
0: Yeah. The last thing you want is for them to connect the dots because they are not in your brain. And so they'll rarely get all the way there.
1: What if it's obvious? What if it's obvious? Well gosh, this is why we're having this meeting. I know you've got this matter that if I'm the one that can solve it, it's going to keep you from doing this this and this. It should be obvious to them,
0: right? It's insulting to assume that they can get into your brain. Interesting. And that's and it's self-centered because what it says is it's obvious to me. So if you don't get it, you're an idiot. <laughs> right. I think I've had to learn that the hard way Ken. It's an interesting one to watch because the fundamental thesis behind this is when you get off the phone or they leave your office, you're still thinking about the fact that they should say yes and become a client. They're thinking about the emails that they missed, that they're looking at on their phone and that their wife or their husband or their children called them six times while they were sitting in your room. Right. You become an afterthought. And so if you haven't clearly connected though, the reasons why you can help them cure the disease and not just the reasons why you'll make the symptom feel less painful. There's no reason for them to find any way to differentiate you between you know you and anybody else. That's right. I remember the day I had the realization
1: that it wasn't about me. I had three candidates take counteroffers on the same day. Which, when a candidate takes a counteroffer in the recruiting world, it means you're not getting your deal. The candidate accepted an offer, turned his notice, and his employer bought him back and yeah. said, "We'll give you a counter." And I remember I was crying that day so hard that I thought, man, I'm going to have really good abs. I'm crying so hard. I'm <laughs> just like yeah. belly, you know, belly. I mean, I was like, oh, my abs are going to be so good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I remember it's almost like a grieving process where at first you have shock and disbelief and then you get angry and then you start bargaining and then finally you accept it. And yeah. I was at that grieving phase where I said, well, I guess at the end of the day, they're going to do what they're going to do anyways. Yeah. And a light bulb went on. And I realized they're going to do what they're going to do. And all I have to do is figure out what that is. And that was early in my career. Lucky enough, I was able to figure that out. Do you think that most people, do they finally get to a point where they realize that it's not about them? It's about their prospect. Is that kind of a common theme that you've seen among successful professionals that are in the business of getting business, where they have to go through something, where they realize it's not about them?
0: Yes. And the successful ones get there. Yeah. The problem is that's so few and far between. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately, like if everybody would come back to one core concept, and I know that they've updated it in the last few years, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs exists. Yeah, right. Right. And your prospect is self-centered. And by the way, since you're trying to figure out how to help what they need from you and how to sign them as a client, then you need to figure out how you fit into their world, not how they fit into yours. Right.
1: So was there a point in your life where you had that realization that it wasn't about you? it was about your prospects, your clients?
0: It was, but it was not in a sale. Believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was a stockbroker when I came out of high school and had a mentor who was you know, forty-five. You know, an old guy back then. Yeah, old you know, man. I'll, I'll be fifty. I don't know. High school to college, but I'll be fifty. You know, this year. And he said to me, he noticed a behavior that I had. And the behavior that I had was I tried to act one way with my clients and keep my personal life separate. So these two things that were kind of my personal life and my professional life were separate. And it made me come to the realization you're talking about in a kind of a roundabout way. He said, you'll miss out on some of the best relationships you've ever had unless you're willing to truly open up and build relationships with your prospects. You know, and so that was, you know, 20 plus years ago. And that's stuck with me since. And I, and he's right. Some of the best relationships I've had started as business relationships, but it really reframed my thinking around, um, we're, I, like, well, I'm an expert in what I do, but that's irrelevant if it's not an expert, if I'm not an expert in the thing they need most. Yeah, that's right. And so I have to, it's my job to figure out what is it they need most. So yeah, it was 20 years ago for me, but it's one of those things you see. You see it in this interview. I, I hope, and you know, I'm humble and I'm willing to admit that I'm not as perfect as my LinkedIn. But at the same time, you know, we we want to build relationships, and by building relationships, we get to figure out how we can serve people more. Yeah, that's
1: right. Well, Ken, I think you've got some great ideas. Tell us, the people listening, what are some of the resources that you have, the things that you do that you'd like for everybody to know about? We'll make sure to put all you, the links on our show notes.
0: Well, I think the number one thing that you can understand is that we do things a little bit different. We actually combine all the resources from strategy to sales process to actually operationalizing things through training and coaching. And so the number one thing most of our clients run into is they go, Ken, I'm too busy to implement change. And so we have a program called the Revenue Acceleration Program, which brings all of those components together in order to help clients build systematic and predictable systems and train their teams. So the Revenue Acceleration Program is probably the the thing that we do the most of, I'll bet you it's probably 75% of our business at this point, because it allows us to put companies in a position to succeed in spite of the markets that they're in. Right? Because we believe the pathway to grow sales is the same, even if products and services are different. So the revenue acceleration program is kind of the number one thing. And I would tell you from there, I post a bunch of content and love to certainly uh, meet people who have heard us on the podcast and such. So hook up with me on LinkedIn and tell me in the message that you heard Scott and I talking. And if you want, I'll give you a free 30-minute strategy session and we can just talk about stuff. So I promise I won't sell you because heck, I don't even know you.
1: (laughs) That's great. We'll definitely put those links on the show notes and kind of tell us then what would be three action steps people can take to really get started in some of the content that you've
0: shared with us today. Great. Yeah. I'd say first purpose. Before you walk into every meeting, say... Give yourself a purpose. And that purpose in in the vein of what we've spoken about today is, I'm going to see how I can serve them in their highest need. So first is, tell yourself that you're going to do that. Second, use part of what we call that perfect meeting format and set an agenda that's not about the immediate topic, but more about the things that are right for them long-term. What are they looking for over the next 12 or 18 months so that you can connect what's happening in their world today with the larger issue? You know, they say, what do they say that, you know, in the medical world, they'll say something like a prescription with, uh, I don't know, you can cut this from the show. It stinks. But anyway, they say something about it. it's malpractice. If you don't edit well, it, that first, out. right. Or don't when- cut it. Cause this will show you that I'm a dork. okay so, <laughs> That's number two. Right. Right. Um, and then the third thing is really leaning into the idea that there are just some people that you're not the right fit for. Right. You know, and if you're okay with saying my purpose is to serve people, finding out how you can serve them and then being okay, if you're not the right fit, it'll go a long way to helping you develop that value in this post-pandemic world. And it will differentiate you versus your competitors. Great. Well,
1: Ken, thank you for being here on the show. You've got some fantastic ideas. Like I said, we'll put the links that you talked about on the show notes. Thanks for being on the Rainmaking Podcast. I hope to have you back here in the future.
0: Thanks, Scott. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to The Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit RainmakingPodcast.com.